are live. Welcome to Game Burgers, everyone. Your guy, Edwin, once again, back with a new episode. Yes, it is the new week, Monday. Yeah, time to get up. Time to start the whole week over again. Time to start the grind all over again. But hey, it is what it is. It's a great thing that you're having Game Breakers to ease that pressure off of you, right? Listen to Game Breakers, and you get to have some sports talk, some analysis breaking down from you, and also the likes of just having an overall good day while listening to Game Breakers. So what else can you go, like, what, what, what can you do? What can you do? What can go wrong? But anyways, guys, great, great start to the week so far. Can't complain at all. I hope everyone is doing great out there. I hope you all are still grinding. I hope you're still doing your business as usual. But have we have a lot to talk about this time around. Man, oh man, NBA playoffs has been taking a turn for the best and the worst for some teams, I guess you could say. But let's start off with some NFL talk. And by the way, before we go into some NFL talk, have you been watching the NHL playoffs? I feel like I have to say this every episode now. Have you been watching it? Because I have. And let me tell you, it has been a great, great thing. Now, I don't really go into depth about these teams because I'm not really too knowledgeable about these teams anyway, right? Hockey is still a sport that I'm, I'm trying to get into. But we see the Panthers down 3-0 against the Lightning. Panthers were favorites to win the title this year or the Stanley Cup this year. Insane. Insane. Hurricanes. Lose game three, Rangers are back in it. Oilers win game three. They are now taking the two to one series lead over the Flames. Wow, wow, wow. And you know, obviously, the Colorado Avalanche two one series lead over the Blues. But, anyways, this is all changes for me because you know, going off of when I was betting in the regular season, I thought that teams like the Panthers and obviously the, the Avalanche were sure favorites, right? But, geez, was I wrong? Avalanche looking pretty good right now, but the Panthers, geez, that that Tampa Bay Lightning uh, playoff experience is showing right now. It is showing. But let's get into some football talk, guys. Okay, so the 49ers are still reportedly planning to trade Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason and are willing to make it flexible to make it happen. Oh, my goodness. You know, I think that we all had the, the understanding that they wanted to move off from him, right, and they wanted to give – uh, Trey Lance a chance to really cement himself as the team starter. I mean, you did invest a couple of first round draft picks to get him and to hopefully make him your future QB, your future franchise QB. I get all of that, but Jimmy Garoppolo, we were expecting to have this trade done a while ago. And the issue is, is that, yeah, he is still a tradable piece for this team. And I think that for the most part, many teams would want him, but at this point right now, how many teams would want Jimmy Garoppolo? How many? I mean, I have to be honest. How many would want him? The only teams I saw that would really be good fits for Garoppolo would be the Seahawks and the Panthers. Seahawks got their QB, whether you like him or not. Geno Smith, uh, Drew Locke, they got a QB. They have a QB room in there. So now they're not going to really be in a need for a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. And to have the idea of trading within the division, I don't think that happens unless it's like maybe – a six-round pick or a player that they're not really keen on anyway. But Jimmy Garoppolo, despite him being a backup, I think he's still better than both those two QBs. And I think that he could still give them some value at that QB position. You know, whatever you want to think about when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, he has not done it in the big games. Yes, he has not been a big-time player. Yes, he has crumbled. But he is still better than every QB that the Seahawks have. But the issue is... They feel comfortable with their scheme, with their QBs on the roster at the moment. And also the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers were a big name to monitor, right? Panthers wanted to move in for Baker Mayfield. That didn't happen. Um, and, you know, they they had a case of this QB Carrasco or Carrasco that, you know, you had Sam Donald and uh, Cam Newton and P.J. Walker, I believe. And now it's like they don't know what they're doing. But they did commit to a third round pick in drafting Matt Curra. So now they have their guy in a way. So if you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's a backwards move because yeah, you still have Sam Donald who you have to pay a lot of money to. You now have Matt Corral or Matt Curro. Coral, Curro, Coral. <laughs> you now have him at that QB spot too. 
to provide some competition. Hopefully he could be a, a day one starter for them one day if it happens. I'm not sure if it will, but you want to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and not pay his salary and Donald's salary too? That would be a terrible move. Why, why, why would you do that? You know, so I look at that and I say that the 49ers have no options right now. Literally no options to really have uh, some value for a trade in trying to get some pieces for Jimmy Garoppolo. Right now, it's pretty bleak. So the best thing is to hope that, you know, um, this game is is built around injuries, right, too, because it's such a physical game that there are going to be guys who get injured. So maybe you have to hope for a team that gets a QB injury to now say that we have an opening and we could still include Jimmy Garoppolo in the deal for like a later round draft pick, maybe a fourth, maybe a third, the highest possibly. But for the most part, there's no market for Jimmy Garoppolo at the moment. And I don't think any team would want to trade for him at this moment in time. It's just not going to happen. So, guys, if you are a Niners fan, you're going to have – it's not a bad situation, to be honest, because you still have Jim Garoppolo there, right? He still knows the system. He still knows the Kyle Shanahan offense. And you also have a veteran presence behind Trey Lance. If you do indeed decide to go with him, which you definitely should, I think, at this point, like get to find a way to see what you have in your young gun. All right? Like get your young gun some reps. Get him some time because you're not getting any younger. And we have a case of the NFC West being a division that is on the decline. Rams are still there, obviously. Cardinals, they're having some issues. We're gonna talk about that in a couple of in a, in a couple of minutes, but they're having some issues. And I don't really believe too much in their team anymore, like I did last year. Seahawks are in a rebuilding mode. So right now is the perfect chance because right now I don't really see any other team trying to contend for the title, trying to beat the Rams for the title this year. So when it comes down to it all, this is your chance to give Trey Lance that that time to nurture and to grow as a QB so that he can come in in a couple of years or so and be that guy, hopefully next year maybe, to be that guy, not this year, next year, the year after that to be that guy and hopefully lead you guys to a promising season and be contenders because I don't see any body really contending. And it's not a, a, a competitive division right now too. So it's not like he's going to be thrown into fire like that. Definitely not happen. No, no Russell Wilson anymore. Um, Cardinals are not, not looking too good. So you have some chances there, but your hope it would be to see him, have some flashes this year, progress. He does have one year under his belt, quote-unquote, because he did have uh, a look from the sideline of what real football looks like as a, compared to college football, men football, you know. He has played a couple of snaps here and there, so he does have some experience. Not enough for my liking, but there is some there to work with. And on top of that, now you can go into maybe the season after this and feel confident that you can contend for the uh, the division, depending on what happens depending on what your team does. But regardless of what other team does to try and strengthen their team in the offseason for the next two seasons, you can feel confident that he is going to be the guy to give you the chance to win the division anyway. So it wouldn't even matter. Right? That's the biggest thing. Maybe you get lucky this year. Maybe he does play really well to a point where he carries you guys to the uh, playoffs. Maybe. You know, we see we saw last year that we had a case of the Eagles – playing really good football towards the end of the season and actually in a rebuilding state still made the playoffs. So it's still possible, but I think they have to go full on Trey Lance here, despite what their rumors may be about Jimmy Garoppolo, go full in on Trey Lance and see what happens. And hopefully you guys can get the most out of him. And Kyle Shanahan is a QB friendly kind of guy. So you saw what he did with Jimmy Garoppolo. Imagine what he could do with Trey Lance. Just saying, just saying. Now let's move on to some other news regarding a QB situation. Cardinals, Kyler Murray. Kyler freaking Murray. What is going on with that right there? So we have a case of him skipping or planning to skip voluntary OTAs, which is not a big deal for me. Um, maybe it's a big deal in the case of he's a leader, he's a locker room presence. Um, he is the star of the franchise, and he has been for the past couple of years, and they haven't had a bigger star in the past couple of years than you know, maybe Larry Fitzgerald probably. You know, the QB room was Matt Barkley at one point and Carson Palmer and those kind of guys, Joe, Joe, Josh Rosen. And 
you know, so he's been a big part of this franchise for the past couple of years, and he has given them that star power, quote unquote, in the NFL. But the issue is there is an extension on the line, and he does not want to wait any longer. He wants it right now. They don't want to do it right now for some strange reason. I'm not sure why. Um, but when it comes down to Kyler Murray, you give him that extension. You give him that extension with no questions asked. I'm not sure what's taking so long. He is your star QB. And yes, there have been some instances in the past where he has not played up to par in the big games. You can go back to last year with the Packers where he lost that game at home. First loss of the season for them. Uh, the playoffs where he got destroyed against the Rams. So it was it was a case of their team depth finally coming up and coming back to haunt them because they had a lot of star players last year for the most part, or many good to star players last year that were taking care of the whole entire game and making plays and basically overshadowing the likes of some of the deficiencies they have on that roster. But there are some deficiencies there. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. GM Steve Kimes says that there's zero chance he will trade away Kyler Murray this offseason. And he states the way we have approached it is we have a free agency, we have the draft, and then we will take a deep breath and sort out a sort of refocus. Sorry. That's sort of a reason every other player that has been a third year QB has been extended, quote unquote, pretty much in the middle of the summer or late summer. It's no different for us. Nothing has changed in terms of him being a long term and short term QB. Um, Kyler Murray, Offensive Rookie of the Year, back-to-back Pro Bowls, um, 3,700 yards passing, 20 touchdowns in each of his past seasons. Last year, 69% completion percentage, uh, 3,300 or 3,787 yards, and 24 TDs to just 10 interceptions. He also rushed for 423 yards and five scores as well, too. That is great numbers as well, really, really great numbers. But the issue is, man, you have to pay your QB. Have to pay your QB. Now, to me, it's not a big deal that he's skipping out on these right now. It gets a big deal towards the meat part of the offseason where we're trying to get into shape and we're getting the team together. And he's skipping out OTAs and training camp at that part. Oh, that's not a good look at all. You know, the only reason why it's not a it's not a big deal for me is because this is all voluntary. Like It's all voluntary. He can come back in later on in the summer and get back to shape or he can still do what he needs to do to get back to full speed with the team. You know, him and Cliffs Kingsbury, they have that nice connection going on. So it's still possible to still pick off where you left off last year, pick up where you left off last year for the most part, even though you got blown out in the, in the uh, wild card round. But the biggest thing is that you have to pay your QB, have to pay your QB and you have to pay a QB such as the stature of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is a different kind of breed, a different kind of undersized QB kind of breed. All right. He, we call Drew Brees undersized. He's not Kyler Murray when it comes to, I'm not trying to compare him to Drew Brees in the sense of his Hall of Fame career or anything. I'm just saying that when it comes down to the mobility, the playmaking, I think that Kyler Murray has just different intangibles than what Drew Brees did. Same thing for Russell Wilson, those kind of guys you know, making plays in the pocket, all that kind of stuff. So he is a different game plan when it comes to trying to plan for him week in and week out for different, uh, for or for similar QBs on NFL, NFL rosters for the most part. So you pay Kyler Murray. I'm not sure what's taking so long. Steve Kime, get to work. Because <laughs> when it comes down to star power, he's it. For your franchise when it comes down to playmaking ability he is it for your franchise when it comes down to the whole entire team now that's a case where we have to do a better job of building around him right i mean he's not the team is not void of talent we're not saying that at all but the, there has to be a better job when it comes to doing the work for the team and i'm not i'm gonna be honest here like i'm not really pleased about the whole entire offseason plan that they had when it comes down to it all i like it was lackluster for me it was okay it wasn't the best I thought it could have been better for the most part, if I'm, if I'm being honest. I, th- I thought that they could have did much more or they could have did much more work in free agency, which they really couldn't for the most part, right? Going down the list of the free agents so far, um, they they signed tight ends Dimitri Harris. 
Uh, who else they have here? What, what am I? What am I looking at? Yeah, yeah. So they traded for Marquise Brown in the draft. So I guess you can count that as the draft slash free agency, whatever. But they signed Kingsley Kiki, um, Charles Washington, Antonio Hamilton, AJ Green to a one-year contract again. Jonathan Ward as a running back. Not sure how much playtime he's going to get. Antoine Wesley, who made a couple of nice catches, go up and get a catches in the in the in the uh, regular season. Stephen Anderson. Will Hernandez, yeah, that's a good signing for me, I guess. Ezekiel Turner, Nick Virgil, Colt McCoy, re-signed him. Jeff Gladney from the Vikings, yeah, remember him. Zach Ertz, that was a good signing. James Conner was an okay signing for me. Max Williams is an okay signing. Dennis Gardeck is an okay, eh. Michael Dogby is a good, eh. Like, all these are and moves. All these are and moves. While letting go of Chase Edmonds and Christian Kirk, Chandler Jones, guys who are big, that yeah, didn't sign Jimmy Harris. He's still a he's still a UFA. But guys who are big contributors last year are gone. So that's the, I don't know. I I don't know. That's not a good look for me. Lackluster, very very mediocre. Look at the draft picks for this year. Right, draft picks for this year. Um, it was okay, for the most part. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, want to go down the list of that too? I guess let's do that. Fine, let's, let's do that. Uh, first round pick Devontae Wyatt. I think he should be an impact player. Brees Hall, not a bad signing. I mean, not a bad draft. Sorry, not a bad draft at all. Brees Hall, not a bad draft. I like that. You know, just joking. <laughs> He's with the Jets. <laughs> Yo, what am I saying? You with the Jets. Stop. I'm just joking, guys. All right. So that they signed. Okay, so they, they drafted Trey McBride in the second round. I, I was going through the mock draft. I was just joking with you guys. But anyways, um, this is the real draft they had. Real draft. Okay. Second round, first round pick, or second first pick they had was Trey McBride, a tight end. Okay. Now you have Zach Ertz. I, I mean, like, once again, was this a big need? I don't I don't think it was. I don't think it was. You you drafted Cameron Thomas, third round. I guess that's not too bad. Another DN, Cincinnati. Uh Majai Sanders. Okay. Uh yeah, drafted a running back, Keontae Ingram. I thought they could have went early for the running back, if I'm being honest here. I mean, your first pick was Trey McBride. I'm not sure who was left on that on on the running back standpoint at that time, but I think you still draft the running back early because I'm not really too keen on the running back tandem they have over there. James Conner, I guess, but that's about it. He's not really explosive for me. He's not. So the point is, guys, I'm not gonna go through the whole entire draft, but the point is, is that they don't have they didn't have a the best offseason and they don't have their star QB in the fold too. So when it speaks trouble, it speaks trouble. At this point in time, okay. So if you're a Cardinals fan, you should be kind of worried, um, and you should expect more of the same things last year when it comes down to the later part of the season, right? Because now they don't have that 11-0 start anymore. I don't think they're going to they're going to have that 11-0 start. They're going to have a case of them playing lackluster, hoping for their star players to take over the game, which is harder to do than than easy, you know, easier said than done at this point because there's injuries that are involved. There's also game plans for the other team. So, like, what's going to go on? How are you going to stop them? You know? And you already had a lackluster offseason, too. So, it's not, it's not looking too good, guys. Not looking too good at all. All right. Finally, let's move on to some NBA playoff talk. Man, the Mavericks. Mavericks. So, my pick for going to the finals is looking kind of trash right now. I wanted to be brave, and I wanted to take this team in seven games, and I was wrong. I was wrong. Because this team has once again failed me on the defensive end. I can't say I'm, I'm not – I can't say I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Like, I'm really not surprised at this point. And also, they have failed me when it comes to managing leads. So, let's talk about games two and three. Games two and three, right? What happened in games two and three? Mavericks came out blazing blazing in the first half blazing what did i say i said that whichever team shoots better from the three-point line would win this game 
And even though the Mavericks made 21 threes in that game, the Warriors were better in that facet at 50%, which is still better, right? It still goes back to say whoever is better at the three-point line, whoever has the better percentage from the three-point line would win this game. So far, every case has been the Warriors, I think. Let me go to game three, too, just to confirm that. Uh, but, yes, War- Warriors shot 28%. Oh, no, Mavericks shot 28%. Warriors shot 34%. Same kind of case here. All right, so let's go back to game two. Game two, you had it. You had it. Like, what, what can I say? You had the game in your in your bag, in your grass, whatever you want to say, you had it. All right? First time outside of that Memphis game where they lost by 55 points or whatever, or that elite of 55 points, first time this postseason that any other team has been up big against the Warriors, in my opinion, that had actually controlled the game. And you blew it. 32 in the first in the first quarter, 40 in the second quarter. How do you blow that lead? How? You know, and I get it. You're, you're up by you're in the halftime, you're up by about 15, 17 points, whatever. You're still in control. I know the Warriors made a couple of buckets to make it interesting in the second half, or in the first half, sorry, at the end of the first half. But for the most part, you're still in control. What happened? What the hell happened? I'll tell you what happened. Give credit once again to the Warriors' defense. Because when we saw in the first half, they were giving a lot of uh, extra passes, scrambling on offense, I mean on defense, and the Mavericks had every look they wanted in the first half when it came down to the three. Every look, every freaking look. Luka, once again, unstoppable. You really can't put anybody to stop him at this point. I know Andrew Wiggins is doing a, a okay job, but it doesn't really matter. You can't really do too much at all. Same thing for Jalen Brunson, too. Like they don't have a one-on-one defender that can pretty much match up with Jalen Brunson. But what it came down to is the second half, that all changed. The one-on-one defender was much better, much better. Made the Mavericks take a lot of tough shots, a lot of tough shots. There was less ball movement, right? And when there was ball movement, they were just cold from the in the third quarter. Cold. I mean, 13 points in the third quarter after having 32 and 40 point quarters and in the fourth quarter just erupting for 43 points from the Warriors perspective that was crazy indeed didn't matter how much the Mavericks tried to come back at that point in the third quarter they lost that lead it was pretty much over for me they lost that game in the third quarter because yeah you're up by two going into the fourth quarter but it's going to take a lot of clutch buckets which they had to begin with the fourth quarter but it would take a lot of clutch buckets and some stops too you need some stops to really win this game. And a guy who has been, who was a big factor in that third quarter. Talk about Kavon Louie, 21 points to finish off the night, 12 rebounds. This guy had a lot of easy buckets around the rim because when it came down to the Mavericks trying to scramble on defense and try to run out these, at the, at these, uh, these uh, shooters, they left big holes in the paint for Kavon Louie to make easy layups. Easy layups. It was too easy for him. You know, and I look at Steph Curry, 32 points. Great that whole night. Clay Thompson, efficient at least, 15 points, but efficient. You know, off the bench, Jordan Poole, efficient, 23 points, efficient. Third quarter was it. Third quarter was it, too. And aside from Luka and Jalen Brunson, 42 points, 31 points, where was the help? I mean, Reggie Bullock, once again, did his job. All right, I know he had a really bad game three, which we'll talk about soon, but he did his job that game, 21 points. Dorian Finney-Smith, 10 points is what you expect from him anyway, but Max Kleber has been playing trash this whole entire uh, series. This guy was a blazer in the Utah series, was a blazer in the Sun series, I mean, to a, a point at least, but was okay enough. And this series, he has not shown up at all. And... You know, I'm sorry to say this. Yeah, really, a really nice game one, but game two, Dinwiddie, two of six, four points, and game three, a little bit better, a little bit better, 26 points, <laughs> a big, big boost, right, off the bench. But that wasn't the case, though. We're not, we're not going to go into that later on. But uh, we're not, we're not going to go into that right now. But the point is, is that the Mavericks had a big lead, and they lost it, right? That's a bad loss. I don't care what you say, that the Warriors are home. 
you know, that's a bad loss. You had the crowd out of the game for most of that game, for the first half, to be exact. And you lost that lead. You can't do that on the road. You just cannot do that. You have to manage the game as it is right then and there. And it's so annoying to me because even though I picked this team to win, I just hate how some of these teams allow the home team to take advantage of the game of the way it's flowing and they don't have any answers. There's no adjustments. There's nothing at all. And it was about to happen to my Heat team, but we made a couple of buckets. One thing you got to do is either get stops or make clutch buckets. All right. We got some stops in the fourth quarter, just enough stops to help us win that game. But we made some clutch buckets in that final five, four minutes of the game. But talking about the Mavs, though, the clutch buckets came in the beginning of the fourth quarter and they kind of dwindled down in the end of the fourth quarter. And also they didn't get any stops. There were no stops. First half was great. Played some great defense, forced the Warriors into 16 turnovers. That's pretty good. All right. Play some great defense overall but when it came down to it that third quarter not making any shots and not playing any good defense enough to keep you in the game i mean if you're not making shots you have to at least play defense right that would be the the the, pro- the proper fair trade-off is to play defense didn't do none of that didn't do none of that okay luca 42 points in that game luca drops 40 points again in the game three that they lost by the way Game three is so important. I cannot stress that enough. Game three is so important. If you are down 2-0, you have a chance to to change the series into your favor and try to reclaim the series. Hopefully win game three and now you have momentum going into game four. If you are tied 1-1 apiece, it comes down to, okay, who is going to throw the second punch to go up in this series 2-1? Mahi did that. We're going to talk about later on the show. But who will throw that second punch to come back into the series and take control. That's the whole point. And if you're up 2-0, you win game three, it's over. The series is over. doesn't matter what happens. I think it's 146-0 teams are in the series when they're up 3-0 in the series. You win game three, it's over. Game three is so important. And what happened in game three? Yes, the Mavericks had a nice second half or second quarter lead, but there was never really points in that game or any occurrences in that game that made me believe that they would win it. Really? Because the Mavericks, man, seriously, letting Luka go off. I mean, letting Luka. Uh, Steph Curry, 31 points, 11 assists, dishing the ball. Once again, that whole scrambling defense was not working out at all. It's like a total 180 from what I saw in game two of the first half. Seriously. And if we're being honest, that was the best half of defense. That was their best stretch of defense in the first half because they were making shots. And despite the Warriors, I mean, you know, the Warriors are going to still make shots regardless of how good a defense is, but they were still getting stops. And in the first half of this game, second half of this game, little to no stops, little to no stops. A guy who has been a great factor in this series overall, Andrew Wiggins. Talk about a guy, 27 points in game three, a poster on Luka Doncic. That was the best part of the game, obviously. But, you know, the Warriors have that guy, man. They have that guy that, if they're struggling, can be an X factor for this series. First series, it was Jordan Poole. Second series, it was like a mix of... It wasn't really anybody that, that stood out, to be honest. But I guess you could say it was Jordan Poole again. A mix of him, a mix of Steph Curry. But this series has been Andrew Wiggins. Because he has been tasked with the assignment to guard Luka and also to score a smooth 15, 17 points. And he has been answering that bell. Efficient last night, too. And, you know, for the most part, he does his job. Does his job, okay? Uh, 19 points for, for Clay Thompson off the bench. Jordan Poole didn't really do too much, but didn't didn't need to. Didn't need to. The biggest thing is that the Mavericks, after having that second quarter lead, and they let it go, and now they're down the third quarter. Now they're down by double digits. They're letting the game get out of hand. And by the way, Reggie Bullock, I mean, I'm not going to give you too much slack. I'm not going to give you too much criticism because, I mean, you have been playing a, a really good postseason for me, if I'm being honest here. But damn, what were you? Where, like, where were you in game three? Did you play? 0 for 10? 0 for 7 from 3? Dorian Finney-Smith, not the best stat line. 2 of 5 from 3. 
I mean, 0 for 5 from, well, once again, this guy has been playing lackluster, Maxi Kleber. 0 for 5. 0 for 2 for Bertons. That's their bread and butter. 28% from the three. 13 of 45? What? The only bench production that they had in that game was Spencer Dinwiddie. And it, it should be only him for the most part. Like it should be, he should be leading that bench unit. 26 points. That's a big game for him. Probably the best game he's had this entire postseason, I believe. But he was aggressive all night. He kept his 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 place intact, kept the uh, momentum going for himself when it came to scoring, and he got past his defenders easily. The switches were big parts in helping him blow past some of these defenders, Kevon Looney at times, and got to the rack. But for the most part, Luca needs help, Russell needs help, and they got no help. I mean, when you make 13 threes and you take 45 of them, that's pretty terrible indeed. Pretty, pretty terrible. And I, I just look at the way, listen, once again, the way they could have won this series. And I, I was a big believer in that they would try to win this series off of playing small ball and beating the Warriors at their own game. And in game two, they came really close, really close. But it came down to a lot of shot decisions and some individual defending that took them out of the, the third quarter. But I thought that this would be a chance for them to come back into the series and have that same type of urgency that they had against the Phoenix Suns in Game 3 and Game 4. And we saw none of that at all. What we did see, though, was them trying to manage the, the manage the deficit. As in, they're down by 10 points, down by 12. Okay, let's make sure it's down by 8 going into the fourth. Let's make sure that we're down by at least, you know, uh, 5, 6 points. And maybe we could pull a couple of strings here and there and try to come back into the game. But as the home team, you should be the enforcer. As the home team that, that needs to come back into the series, you need to be the, the impact team to come out. And it, it takes more than a short stretch of the second quarter to do that. I, I mean, come on now. Come on. And your players that you need to step up and make those threes were lackluster in this game. Like, if there's any game, if there's any game <laughs> that you need to make threes, it has to be game three. All right, because you're you're down 2-0. You have your backs against the wall, even though you're home. Your backs are against the wall. So you need to make your threes to keep into the series. And you couldn't do that. Series is over. Series is over for me now. Maybe they get one game in game four, but it's over. It's over. Doesn't matter what happens. All right, so Warriors take a commanding, a commanding 3-0 lead in this series. And they have one foot in, one foot out, basically. Or, yeah, one foot in, whatever you want to say. Uh, in the finals. So we'll see. We'll see. It doesn't matter. I think it's going to still be a dogfight between the Heat and the Celtics. So the Warriors will be well-rested, which is a big thing for them. And they have a chance to get some more practice shots at the three-point line in practice so that they can have a better shot at winning the whole entire uh, finals. But we'll see what happens. Now, talk to me about the Heat and the Celtics. Man, oh, man. What did I say? Game three. Game three. Game three. Okay. What happened? What happened? I, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Because that was a great game for my heat. You want to talk about role reversal? You want to talk about the the defense? You know, it's funny because I think it was Kenny the Jet Smith that said that the Heat, when they played the defense that, that they that they play up to standards and at the at the peak of the defense, they are the best team. Like, forget about the Celtics. Forget about any other team, the Mavericks. When they play their defense, the way they play it, at the peak, they are the best defensive team in the NBA. Reminds them of the Pistons. But I'm not going to read too much into that. What I will read in, into is Game 3. What happened in Game 3? Game 3. Listen, a personal thank you to Bam Adebayo. A personal thank you. Why? Because this guy had a combined, I believe, 16 points in games one and two. Game three, 31 points, 10 rebounds. The biggest thing was attacking often and early. Attack often and early. Don't give them a chance to have the double teams, to have these smaller guards come and slap the ball away. No, go at your man quickly. And there were some times in that game where he bailed us out. When the shot clock was running down and he had a chance to just hoist it up, I mean, he had this one miraculous shot in the fourth quarter 
that sealed the game pretty much for me. But Bam Adebayo, thank you. Thank you. And I ask you this one question. Why have you not been doing this the games one and two? I mean, game two was a bit of an aberration for me. It was a big difference. But, you know, game one, like, attack these guys. Attack him. Attack Horford. Attack Grant Williams. Robert Williams isn't there. But when he comes back, attack him too. Attack all these guys. Don't let them off the hook. Listen, I will live with you getting your shot blocked against these taller big dudes and Al Horford and Robert Williams then to you just keep on looking away from the basket, passing, trying to run the offense instead of trying to go get a bucket when we need it. Every time we needed a bucket, Bam Adebayo answered the freaking call. Answered the freaking call. I am so proud of my guy, Bam Adebayo, because we needed that. We needed that. We needed some aggression. We needed some shot-making ability. We needed some efficiency. He gave us all of that. We needed some defending he gave us all of that. All of that, okay? Guys, by the way, what did I tweet before the game started? I said, I want Kyle Lowry, who was expected to start that game. I want Kyle Lowry to play like Mr. Toronto. What did he do? Did he shoot the best? 4 for 11 is not, not the best. But he played similar or on the levels of Mr. Toronto, all right? Making some tough uh buckets some crafty veteran moves six assists being that floor general tie for the the team for the the the, the leader and assist in that game that's mr toronto that is kyle larry you know when he plays like that we have a shot to be anybody in the nba i'm saying we have a shot to be anybody in the nba when he plays like that seriously that's the kyle larry i know that was the Kyle Lowry that we were saving for the big games. This is the big games right now. What did I say before? I said that, listen, Kyle Lowry, I mean, Gabe Vincent, he's a good player. And he's a nice backup point guard. Well, he has turned out to be a nice backup point guard. Before I, I like, I'm going to be honest, guys. I did not like Gabe Vincent at all. I did not. So we're talking about the year before and then the year before that. Like, I did not like Gabe Vincent at all. But he has turned my my, my mind. He has, you know, given me a reason to believe that he is a nice, affordable backup point guard. And he, he can come in and do a job. He The biggest thing was efficiency. He has been playing more efficient. He has been shooting the three-point ball much better. And the, the issue was, for me, at least the past couple of years, was that he's a, he's a shooter. Like, this is your bread and butter. You, you can't come on the court and start breaking threes. Like, that's not how it's going to work. That's not, It shouldn't work like, like that. You can't come on the, the floor and break threes. And that was that he was doing all of that. <laughs> the past two years. But this year he has become a nice option for us and has been playing really well. And also the defense has been playing really, really well too. So I give him credit. But I also said that we would not be able to sustain a playoff run to the finals with him as our starting point guard. Kyle Lowry came back in just the nick of time. I'm so glad too. Like, you know, not any bias, but I'm happy that his hamstring didn't bother him at all. Because... I thought that when he was going back to, to the locker room, I'm like, oh, boy, here we go again. Here we go again. You know, he just got back. He just got back. He's going back to the locker room again. But he was fine. He was okay. He looked pretty good. He His movement looked pretty good. So I loved it. I loved it. He did his job. The steal at the end of the game was just the example of who Kyle Lowry is. But talk about the 19 steals in that game. I think it's tied for the most in the playoff uh, game. Great game. Defense mentality. What? I love it. We have P.J. Tucker taking on the, the tough. The, the To me, it's the hardest assignment of the whole entire playoffs so far. The hardest assignment has been guarding Jason Tatum because he is by far. I mean, with Joel Embiid, we have Bam, who is a good defender, and we have the double teams and the triple teams. We can make it tough for him. But we have said that Tucker, you're going to guard Tatum one-on-one, one-on-one, all right? And so far, he has done his job. I mean, last game was a, a terrible game from Jason Tatum. Three or 14, 10 points, one or seven from three. It got to a point where he was he was getting defended by Max Schultz and he couldn't buy a bucket. <laughs> he was getting defended by Max Schultz and he couldn't buy a bucket. That was crazy. But... To have the defensive 
mindset and defensive assignment and to also score 17 points? Florida gang came to play. Came to and we needed every bit of those 17 points. Every bit. You know? Talk about Jimmy Butler, who did not play the second half. Very, very unfortunate. I thought the game would be so tough. It was a great thing to have that cushion, right? The cushion of the what 17 point lead, 20 point lead at the halftime. That was a great cushion because now we have to find a way to manage it as a team, which is okay because we have Kyle Lowry, we have Ben Matabari, who has been playing very, very aggressive up until that point. And we still have Tyler Hero, who did leave the game with a groin injury, but and he will not play in game four. But he did he, having those kind of guys made me believe that we would have a chance to still manage the game and win it. But guys, let me tell you about the impact of Victor Lodipo. I don't think he played in the, in the first half. Second half comes, has four steals. He locks up Jason, he locks up Jalen Brown, locks him up. Jalen Brown, for what it's worth, had 40 points, okay? 40 points. And when it came down to it, he was getting these points uh, against some of the other guards, against Victor Lodipo too. But Victor, man, he, he saved us a lot of possessions because there were so many times in that game where the Celtics were on the run. They were on their run. We missed the bucket. We were down where we're forced to defend once again on their run. And Victor, here comes Victor. Strip of the ball. Strip, strip. Another, another steal. Another steal. Great. Great, great game. What? I love that from Victor. I love that. You know, Next man up mentality. That's what it is. Next man up mentality, guys. Next man up mentality. All right. So great job for him. Great, great job for Victor to come out and to play like that. This guy did his freaking thing. Okay. Did his freaking thing. Made a, a nice bucket to an and one bucket. But I love the next man up mentality. That was great to see. Now, Talk to me about Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero could not buy a bucket last night or two nights ago. 4.15, and I'm so glad that he got away with that because if it wasn't for some of our shot, the great shot making, the defense that was there, that was being played in the second half, the Celtics were very, very sloppy with the ball. I mean, some of those turnovers were just, uh, they were just unacceptable at all, you know. And the 19 turnovers, I mean, 19 steals, a, com- a total of 24 turnovers and 19 steals. That's not good at all, okay? And 33 points off those turnovers, too. So that's great from my team's perspective. But, you know, Tyler Hero, he has to be lucky that he didn't cost us that loss or cost us that game because he played putrid that night. Putrid. Even Caleb Martin played better than him that night. Eight points, efficient shooting. Okay, but for the most part, my team did it, man. My team did it. And I'm, I'm going to save this guy for last because he has, you know, has some criticism in the past. He has had some great moments in the past, too. And he also has some history with this team. Celtics. Max Juice. Max Juice. 6 of 12, 4-7, 16 points. You know, I'm always going to get mad, right? I, it's a fan's reaction to always get mad when he misses an open three. Because he is, to me, he's too good of a, a three-point shooter. He's too good of a shooter to miss those kind of shots. And there were some times in that game where, you know, we needed a bucket before he made that big three. We needed a bucket, and he didn't make that three. Or he met, or he got blocked, or whatever the case may be. But Max Drews, Celtics making their run. Making their run, once again. And I'm just over here, and I have, I have no words. I think right before that point, Tucker misses a wide open layup. And I'm just looking at my, my team. I'm just like, yo, what is going on? What is going on? We're really about to drop this game after being up by 26 points. We are really about to drop this game. Okay. Celtics make it three. I think it was Jalen Brown off the screen makes it three. Deep three, two. You know what? The deeper it is, the, the more demoralizing it is. Giving up a three is demoralizing. Down by one. 93. 92. Max Strews off the pick. Great pass by Kyle Lowry. Bang. Run a, you know, right before that play, let's let's run a, a pin down for Max. That's what happened. 
max juice the you know it, it, it comes down to the big shots right right when it comes down to it all when do the big shots happen when are they made that's the biggest thing because even if a guy like Tyler Hero misses every shot he takes, he, even if he's 4 for 15, and he makes that one big three in the fourth quarter to give us that cushion again, that is a big shot, and that could save us the game. Max Struess saved that game for us. Yes, the defense, 19 steals, a big factor in that game. Yes, Ben Matabaya was probably the biggest factor, if I'm being honest. 31 points is no slouch, but Max Struess, when it's all said and done, I will look back to that play of him coming off the screen and hitting that deep three to put us back up by six. That crowd was then taken out of the whole entire game because after that, there was no buckets made for the Celtics. You know, meaningful buckets at least. Got a stop. Got a, a hoist up uh, shot by Ben Adebayo too. That three was very, very crucial. I cannot explain how crucial that three was, guys. How very important very vital that three was. It took the whole wind out of the whole entire crowd. So Max Juice, give you credit. I will give you credit, my boy. Because this team let you go. They waved you. Come on, Miami Heat, and you do your job. You getting them, you, you're giving them that revenge factor. All right, because at that point we had made no buckets, I believe, and we're struggling. I mean, in the in the fourth quarter, we scored 22 points, which is not terrible, but 22 points is 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 not the best when you give up 31 points, <laughs> you know? So, and it's funny because we're having this stretch again where we're not scoring in the fourth quarter against Boston. I can recall us not scoring against Boston. I think we had like five points a couple of years ago when we, when we, when we went on the road and it was like the last regular season game and we couldn't score more than 10 points. We scored five points in the fourth quarter against Boston, five points. And I'm, I'm over here having flashbacks. Like, this is about to happen again. But my team comes back alive. We make some stops. And we have some clutch stops. Clutch stops. Max Drews, you deserve a drink. Yeah, I know I know. I wait till Friday. That was Saturday night. You deserve a drink, my boy. Because that was great. That was great. And now to take a, a, a game three win. You know, game three is so important. Because if we lose that game, especially the way we lose it, being up by 26 points, and to lose that game, there is a lot of pressure going into game four, especially without Tyler Hero, too, who is the sixth man of the year, you know, especially with Jimmy Butler, who is still expected to play that game, but he's going to be hampered. So there's a lot of pressure. Now, I'm not saying we should go out and try to lose game four. Of course not. I think the Celtics are going to win game four regardless. But game three was the must-win game for any of the teams to be exact. And our objective was to get one game in Boston, one game in Boston. They came on our floor in game two and smacked us. Biggest thing was to get one game in Boston. And for me, what better place to do it than game three? That was the best time to do it. And that was the best moment to do it too. Because now there's so much pressure, so much pressure on the Celtics to win game four. I know they're home and you expect them to have a response. But there is so much pressure on this team right now. You have no idea, guys. And after having these guys, yo, the trainers are so great in Boston. Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum go down. They come back out, running out, and make big plays. You know, right after Marcus Smart runs back onto the court, he makes a step back three. Right after Jason Tatum makes, you know, he comes back on the court. I don't think he makes any buckets up until that point. But the crowd factor is in it. They're just happy to see their star back on the court. Because those injuries look pretty bad. The ankle looked pretty bad. The shorter injury, the way Tatum was holding it and the way he was down for as long as he was down on the floor at that point looked pretty bad. But they came back running on that floor. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, is, is Jimmy Butler coming back? Like, is he going to run onto the floor? Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, is he going to run back off to the locker room? Because we need him right now. We definitely need him right now. And... Listen, my team made some big plays. We had some, we, we, yeah, that was some great, great basketball. Great game to watch, too. We made some big plays because now I can relax. I know, like, it's still a series, right? And you would still want to win game four. But I have a little bit more ease in myself than I would going to game four down two to one. That's the biggest point. 
So who do I have in game four? I still do have the Celtics to win that game because once again, there will be a reaction. There will be a response and there will be more momentum going into them. Not momentum for them per, per se, but you would want the crowd. You would, you would want to believe that the crowd will come back into this game with more energy to try and will this team to getting this series tied up at two, two apiece. So I'm going game four Celtics once again, but that does not mean that I'm not sticking to my prediction of Heat and seven. I'm still sticking to that, but what a great win. What a great win. Guys, tune in tonight for some basketball. Man, playoffs is still on the line. Game four, Celtics versus Heat. That's happening tonight, 8.30 ABC. Tune in for that. Be glued to your TVs because you would not want to miss any part of that game that will happen tonight. But anyways, yo. What a great, great show. What a great, great episode. And always respect to everyone that, that stays to the end and tunes in and has that that listening factor to listen to me break down the game and analysis and all that great stuff. So, you know, clap yourself. Clap for yourselves. You know, pat yourselves on the back. You did a great job once again. You are very, very loyal, and I appreciate your, your audience and your views that you give us here at Game Breakers. So, guys... Keep on grinding. Keep on supporting MBS. Keep on supporting my guy, Wool, and myself. And keep on tuning in every single week, every single day, if I do it at least, for Game Breakers. Because what other podcast out there is better than this one? I mean, let me, let me be honest. What other podcast out there is better than Game Breakers? I give you guys the funny, the analysis, the breakdown, the stats, and more funny, and more enthusiasm. So. Tell me, what other podcast out there in regards to sports is better than Game Breakers? And when it comes down to Will coming back, when it comes down to other, you know, co-hosts or guests coming back, it's even more livelier. I have to ask this one question. What other podcast doesn't like Game Breakers? None. None. I'm looking out for my competition. I see none. I see no one on on the horizon. I don't. I see no one in front of me. Yeah, I can be humble. Forget all that. No. All right, we work hard over here. We work hard for our craft. We work hard to produce a show. So I have the right to say that our show, or my show, at least at this point, my show is the best, the best. And I see no other podcast trying to stop that. All right, but I'm still going to say that other people do great work too. Don't get me wrong. And they deserve to have the views and the audience of what they do. I'm just saying, it happens. They work hard too. Still not touching me though. Still not touching me. But anyways, that's enough of my spiel. Guys, have a great day and we are out. Peace.